0: You're listening to Go Full Crypto. I'm your host, Mugopshi Palway. This podcast is your best resource for crypto stories in the form of discussions and interviews. We uncomplexify tech jargon, and we like to keep it simple. My co-host, Keegan Francis, and I, we're here to empower you with the knowledge you need to confidently navigate your way into the world of crypto. Join us as we embark on the journey of driving the adoption of cryptocurrency. Join us in Going Full Crypto.
1: The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. At no point in time should the topics of discussion be construed or taken as investment advice. Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and their guests on this podcast will not be held accountable for any losses. The content discussed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are intended to be for informational purposes only
0: all right welcome to part two of this episode with billy garrison um just a little backstory on billy you will hear in the previous episode with billy which was just two episodes ago or one episode ago where we talked about bitcoin how billy came across it um the process of mining as well as how um, radical ideas were discussed about bitcoin being the one world currency i guess it wouldn't be so radical once (laughs) it actually happens um but To get a really nice brief on um, Bitcoin mining, as well as how Bitcoin is impacting the economy, as well as government printing money, so inflation is impacting the economy, listen to part one of this episode. In this particular part of the episode, we are going to talk about the Lightning Network. Now, the first instance of the Lightning Network on our podcast was mentioned when we um, had um, Michael Peterson talk about Bitcoin Beach. And we didn't dive too much deeper into what the Lightning Network was. Mike mentioned it in passing, and this made this be your episode to learn fully about the Lightning Network. As also because Billy is an expert at uh, the Lightning Network, he has contributed to the community, and he just he knows it like the back of his hand. So we are going to uh, do a deep dive into the Lightning Network. So Billy, you, uh, when was it that you started the Bitcoin Halifax meetup? group in in halifax
2: um that would have been probably about a year ago give or take yeah probably around this time last year okay um maybe a bit earlier november maybe i don't know yeah it's hard to remember that long ago so much has happened since then uh but yeah, no, around a year ago. This yeah. is true.
0: I, I just remember that on the the times that we came to the Bitcoin meetup, we always talked about the Bitcoin Lightning Network as well. And The first instance, actually, I remember of you presenting on the Lightning Network was at this um, small networking session, meetup of sorts. Um, and you had this amazing description of how a Lightning Network um, transaction would look like between four people. And that kind of made me curious when did you first come across the bitcoin lightning network uh, for you to have such in-depth knowledge of it
2: um so that would have been back in early 2018 um i i've kind of always liked being like on the cutting edge of things and i was this was kind of shortly after i came out of like the cryptocurrency altcoin phase and um, was focusing on bitcoin only You know, at the time, Bitcoin kind of felt like it was slow moving and and old, Um, even though it's like in the grand scheme of things, it's pretty pretty fresh still. Um, But with regards to Bitcoin, you know, Lightning Network was like super, super new. And um, it really like, it was kind of extremely different from what we're used to seeing with Bitcoin. Um, A lot of the arguments against Bitcoin come down to like, the transaction speed or like the number of transactions that you can do, how much the fees were costing at the time. And uh, with Lightning Network, it's, you know, it kind of solves all of those problems. It's nearly free to use. Uh, Transactions are almost instant. Um, It's a fairly private way of sending transactions. Um, and, And it's almost limitless in the sense that you're not bounded by How many transactions you can fit in a block or anything like that Um, because it all happens off of the blockchain you know it's uh yeah so would it be
0: truly decentralized though because i remember in our previous conversation and we talked about what some properties that are essential to cryptocurrency would need to be and one of them was decentralization one of them was censorship resistance so with the lightning network if it's off-chain what are your thoughts on that
2: so it's, uh, it's still decentralized in the sense that like it's off chain, but it's still like peer to peer. Um, there's no, you know, no bank or government that we're trusting in the middle. There are other lightning network nodes that sometimes your payments have to get routed through. Um, but it's still all trustless or trust minimized. Um, you're not relying on a, you know, central point of failure, um, yeah, so it's, it's um, there. you could say it's more centralized than like regular uh, layer one of Bitcoin, um, but overall it's still like quite decentralized. Uh, if, you know, you, the centralizing parties can't censor your tra- transactions, they can't take your funds or anything like that. All they can really do is inconvenience you for the most part because um, of the way that the Lightning protocol is set up.
0: Right. Okay. So let's get really uh, into what the Lightning Network is. Um, let's go layer by layer. So <laughs> layer one is the Bitcoin network. And this network is formed by all of the people, all the miners essentially around the world who are running the Bitcoin code base, the Bitcoin blockchain. And the Lightning Network is a layer two protocol. So how do you usually explain to people what that means?
2: Um, so... It, it's basically you're not taking part directly in the that layer one of the bitcoin blockchain but you're using that layer as almost like an anchor for your second layer um so essentially you know it's it's still tied in to it but it's, it's kind of its own it is its own separate network but each entity on that network still has a tie to the the first one um, and so I guess that's where kind of layering comes from. It's it's like with the internet where like you've got kind of your your data transport layer, and then you've got like your application layer that's built on top of that, and then you might have like a separate layer built on top of that. Um, so yeah, it's it's just that it's it's totally separate network, but because it has that anchor to the the, the main Bitcoin network, um, we kind of think of it as as layering because it's built on top of the uh, the Bitcoin network. And then there are some applications that are built on top of the lightning network as well, including like sub networks on top of that, which I guess you would call a layer three application.
0: Right. Um, Okay. So then there's lightning network nodes, but is all of the lightning network still one network or are there pockets of networks that are formed between people?
2: Yeah. So this is one of the really cool things about the, the lightning network. Um, with the Bitcoin network, every node on the network, basically every Bitcoin user and miner and everyone, they all have to follow the same exact rules, um, you know, same consensus with each other. So we all agree on the state of, of the, the ledger um, with lightning network because, you know, it's not an accounting system like Bitcoin is. It's a, just strictly like a payment system. So. Yeah, you you do end up with these like sub networks um, where like technically the three of us could make our own little Lightning network on top of Bitcoin. You know, we could be using the same code as regular people using Lightning, but if we only connect with each other, then our payments would only go through each other. Um, and in general, you do have kind of one single Lightning network on top of Bitcoin, um, but there are kind of like segments of the network, so even though technically you can basically route a payment to any one of these segments. Um, If you are like, for example, we live in Canada, if we're using lightning, we might be paying Canadian businesses with it um, or receiving money from our Canadian friends. So like, especially as this develops out, you'd probably see like a segment, like a Canadian segment where if you're using the lightning network, it's probably going to be interacting with other Canadians or other people who are, not necessarily in the same geography as you, but in like the same community network as you. Um, and, and there, I'm sure there are other like mini lightning networks built on top of Bitcoin that are totally separated so that you couldn't actually um, connect to that network as well. So uh, a- another cool thing about that is because we don't need to have that consensus. Um, say, say here in Halifax, we want it to make our own lightning network with, slightly different rules, uh, than like the main Bitcoin lightning network, you know, we could do that. We could take the, the lightning software and make little changes to it. Um, for example, maybe we want to include encrypted messaging on it or something like that. You can make these changes to the lightning protocol. And then as long as everyone, you know, on your little sub network follows those same rules, you can all have your own network and it, it all still settles down to the Bitcoin blockchain. So it's, it's got that compatibility, um, But yeah, you can have as much or as little interoperability with the rest of the network as you want, which is like, that's a feature of of Lightning that I don't think is really being capitalized on yet. Like um, the fact that you don't have to have everyone following the exact same rules. And like a good kind of example of this is that with Bitcoin, um, I think 98% or something like that of Bitcoin nodes are running the Bitcoin core software with like the remaining being just a few of the other implementations. With Lightning, you've got... Um, there's L and D, there's C Lightning, and there's um. Oh, forgetting the name of the other one. Something else. There is,
1: so while it's you're Claire, talking- I
2: think it might be like that. Might be the company's name, yeah. not the product name. But anyway, so there's this th- th- three major companies who are doing the development on uh, on Lightning Network, and they each have their own implementations of Lightning, and they. They follow like the same core protocol rules, but they also have their own differences for how they handle things. So if you're running a C lightning node um, and you're trying to connect with someone with an LND node, even though they're compatible with the Lightning network protocol, um, you can come into some issues because they're built differently mm. um, whereas like everyone using the same software has much better compatibility. but anyway, uh, it is great that you can have those totally different software uh implementations that like just follow the same core rules and they can handle the details however they want which could like it basically makes lightning super extendable in a way that uh, bitcoin just isn't and can't be
0: cool i really like how technical we got in that last answer um or just for the sake of our listeners who aren't that familiar with terms like the lightning protocol or consensus mechanisms and, and things like that. Let's really get the fundamentals as um, as simple as we can to get through to our audience. So the lightning network, we've said that it's a layer to protocol, but if we were to explain this to someone who doesn't understand layers, um, how or would you, protocols, or protocols <laughs> how would you define lightning network without yeah. using those terms?
2: Okay, so um, Bitcoin is this kind of this money system um, that everyone, you know, they use their own computers to follow the Bitcoin rules to interact with each other and be part of that, the network that kind of like helps that that system work. Um, Lightning Network is, um, it's basically a separate network of computers that um, on top of running bitcoin they're also running this lightning software that follows a different set of rules specifically for doing these fast payments um fast cheap payments um
0: so if we were to think of an analogy and tell me if this is accurate tell me what part of this is accurate and like really add to it as much as um you you can if you want but let's say that our phone our phones are connected say why um, a network like say the bell network or kudu or whatever and we when we send text messages we send text messages as part of that network that we have our sim card from and if that was sort of the bitcoin network then having this other application like facebook messenger or whatsapp for example if we had that as an app on our phone then using that from our phone would be a layer two sort of protocol because messages are faster. You also get a variety of things you can send, um, for cheaper using the internet. Um, and then you can also, you know, send it on data. So you're still on the, the your Rogers network. This is the third thing that I've, third <laughs> network that I've chosen. So I'm going to stick to Rogers. So if you're on the Rogers network, when you send your text message, that's like your Bitcoin, um, transaction. But if you have WhatsApp on your phone and then you choose to use WhatsApp, then you, you, you know, Whatever message gets there faster, you get more information from the message. And it's is it is it like the Layer 2 protocol? So would WhatsApp be um, similar to the Lightning Network?
2: Yeah, I would say so.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Of course, we're talking about payment systems. So there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's different applications that yeah. come with the software of the Lightning so, Network.
2: So, yeah, like a good way to think about that is like your base Rogers Network is kind of limited in its functionality, but... On top of that network you can build this whatsapp network of you know people you chat with um, that offers different functionality um some improvements and things that you can't do with the that base layer um but obviously with some trade-offs as well um so but yeah it's in the bitcoin example like with lightning it's it's kind of a different way of using bitcoin in the same way that uh whatsapp would be a different way of using the the rogers network
0: cool Cool, cool. So that's awesome. So we've um, I think that that's simple enough for a lot of our audience who um, uses WhatsApp or Messenger or whatever on their phone. So now let's really dive deeper into why the Lightning Network was invented in the first place. How has it made the Bitcoin network um, more flexible to use?
2: Um, so the the problem that Lightning Network was built to solve is the um... The fact that, like with Bitcoin on that layer one, you you're limited to how many transactions you can that can take place on the network over any period of time. Um, and the reason for that limitation is that, like all of those transactions, because that's the the accounting system or the ledger, all those transactions go out to every computer in the world that's running Bitcoin, and everyone has to kind of reconcile the numbers and you know make sure that we're all following by the same rules, right? That's a lot of work. For every little bit of data that goes through the network, so you really kind of have to limit what amount of data you let go through Bitcoin. Um, if you think about the extreme where we have unlimited transactions allowed on Bitcoin, then you're going to have like terabytes of data every every block every ten minutes trying to go through the network. And um, like, if you think about people in in parts of the world who have like bad internet connections, for example and actually most people in that case, would never be able to actually run Bitcoin to validate all those transactions. It's just you would need a, a million-dollar computer kind of thing. Um, so it in that sense, like we kind of have to keep that block size small or like the number of transactions we can do with Bitcoin small so that everyone can use Bitcoin in a way that you don't need to trust someone else to do it for you. Um, so we needed to come up with a way that you can still do a lot of payments uh payments based in bitcoin without them having to go onto that blockchain every time right like if we're going down to buy a cup of coffee we don't necessarily need that to get processed by everyone in the world right and you don't need to pay like a five dollar fee for that exactly yeah so and you also don't want to stand there in line waiting for 10 minutes while you know your transaction gets confirmed on the bitcoin network so i
1: i just want to like insert a quick analogy here as well like when you make a credit card payment uh, that credit card payment is not actually settled at the time that you swipe the card for the business that is receiving that payment. Sometimes it takes weeks. And in some cases it can take months in, in places where the the financial infrastructure is not built up to, to a highly efficient degree. And, and so Bitcoin is, is the settlement layer, right? right. It's that one that takes a little, lot longer. Uh, it still takes 10 minutes or less, <laughs> which beats the hell out of any, On uh, average. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, 10 minutes on average. It, it beats uh, most like uh, traditional institution banking uh, systems, but uh, the Lightning Network is that instantaneous form of it. Um, and then we've got cash and cash is obviously instantaneous, right? Cash is always settled on the spot because of its peer-to-peer nature and that that analogy kind of works like cash is kind of like um the the instantaneous peer-to-peer version of of bitcoin whereas bitcoin is the, the digital the higher latency <laughs> on average 10
2: minute peer-to-peer version
0: or yeah. we can also think of bitcoin as being the peer-to-peer electronic cash system <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs> yeah it definitely kind of serves like you know a few different purposes because it is that settlement layer in that sense but also it is Peer-to-peer (laughs) electronic cash system so um and like today you know if we wanted to we could go buy a cup of coffee with with bitcoin and you're using it as cash in the sense that when i'm holding the bitcoin digitally speaking it's mine right it's not an iou it's not a a voucher like it's actually you hold the, the bearer asset um and then as long
0: you, as it's in your wallet, which is a non-custodial wallet.
2: Yes, we
1: covered that like a couple episodes ago. So we'd like to leak those terms yes. in every every opportunity we get.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. super important because yeah, if, if you know if you're using a custodial wallet, you're not really using Bitcoin in the first place. Um, so so yeah, like if kind of the whole point of cash is that you can transfer it directly from one person to another, right? And whoever holds the cash has the value and the money. Um, so in that sense, like it is the electronic cash, uh, but it does act as that settlement layer, especially like when we're talking about layer two protocols and, and layer three, like nothing is really final until it settles down into that Bitcoin layer. Um, yeah. <laughs> Wigan. Yeah, <finish>. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: does like, all right. So Bitcoin is a settlement layer and light the Lightning Network is more so um, kind of like the application on top of the settlement layer. And now, really, let's get into the analogy of the bar tab. I've, I've seen you talk about this before. I, like, I, wanna, I want you to explore that topic. And another question while you're answering that is also, well, do you see Bitcoin as being used as an everyday currency? Because if it's so volatile, then what is the use of using it as everyday currency?
2: Okay, so, uh the the bar tab analogy um let's see here so assuming kind of everyone knows how bitcoin functions on like a basic level um the, the lightning network is it's a set of connected payment channels um what a payment channel is is you take a single bitcoin transaction and you kind of lock it between two people and then um we can keep transacting back and forth with each other through that payment channel um, as many times as we want for as little or as much value as we want and that's an instantaneous settlement we're basically altering that bitcoin transaction every time we want to make a payment through that payment channel basically updating
1: who who owes who what yeah right so if i initially owe you one bitcoin then later on you can owe me back 0.5 Point 0.5 and if we close that channel then I end with point 0.5 and you end with point 0.5 and that one Bitcoin payment channel is considered closed at that
2: point and and that's it
0: so it's still not an IOU in any way
2: it's yeah it's kind of what so what what like on a technical level what it is you take a Bitcoin transaction and you keep changing who owns how much percentage of, of that transaction's value and you, but each time you change it, you're not uh, you're not sending it out to the Bitcoin network, right? right? You're just keeping it amongst yourselves. But you're both signing the transaction, so at any point you could like one of you could uh, send it out when you want to close the transaction. Um, so it's almost an IOU in the sense that um, it's kind of like an IOU from both of us to both of us. But the good thing is using the cryptography and the digital signatures, either one of us can cash it in at any time. So it's it's not like we're actually relying on each other.
1: That sounds right like an thing. amazing
2: type of IOU. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's also with money that you do have, it's kind of like debit transactions. Uh, it's not credit in a sense where you are sending a Bitcoin to Billy that you don't have, Keegan. Right. Um, or you're not transacting with right. um like a, a digit that you have come programmed into this network. It's still money that you have, and it's essentially like debit transactions the way that I see it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you're, you're basically taking a Bitcoin from the bitcoin network and locking it into lightning network but then it's that real bitcoin that you're transacting with on the on the lightning network
1: right
2: um it's just slightly different types of of payments um and yeah back to the bar tab <clears throat> um so if you because this is kind of the best way that i think to visualize a payment channel is if you go to a bar and you give them your credit card you open up a tab um that's kind of like opening a, a one direction payment channel um, you know, you can just keep saying, I want another beer, I want another beer. And then as you do that, they just keep adding $5 onto your tab. So it's basically um, shifting $5 from your side of the channel to their side, each time you get a drink. And then, you know, you're not actually paying them $5 every time you're just kind of, that's like an off chain way of adjusting the, the balance or like a layer two way of adjusting the balance. And then when you go to leave for the night, that's when you close out your tab and they actually charge your credit card. And that's what happens with Bitcoin uh, payment channels, right? It's you, when you're done, you close it and it's just that final balance that gets charged. Right, um, so you, you you go to the bar, you open up the tab, you buy four beers over the
1: course of two hours. I'll say every half hour, every half hour, that's five bucks, five bucks, five, and eventually four beers later, you leave and that's 20 bucks gets charged to, your, to the bartender.
2: Exactly, yeah. yeah. And the cool thing about payment channels in Bitcoin is that it works both ways. So like at the bar, I'm only able to pay in one direction. But with the payment channel, it's like, I can pay you five bucks, five bucks, five bucks. And then if for some reason you now owe me five bucks, <laughs> you can pay me back through the pay- the channel and it just subtracts off that final balance until we settle it out. Um, and what makes, so that's that's a, a like a bi-directional payment channel in Bitcoin. Um, and like that right there is pretty cool to be able to, between two people have unlimited transactions, um, essentially for free. It's just us updating this transaction um there's very little security risks involved with it so like it's, uh, it's a huge win in terms of like scaling it up to being able to use bitcoin for more payments but what the lightning network does is it takes all kinds of these separate payment channels and it connects them to each other and then you can route payments throughout that connected network of payment channels so if you and i and keegan and i have a payment channel and keegan and maruga have a payment channel then I can actually pay Maruga through Keegan, right? It sends it from my end of my payment channel to Keegan, and then Keegan sends it from his end of his channel with Maruga to her end. It's uh, harder to to describe with like a visual, but you know you can kind of picture it as like some people like to describe it as like water going through a pipe. Like you know, there's X amount of of water in the pipe, which represents your Bitcoin, and like at the start it might all be on my end of the payment channel, but then as I push some of that value through to Keegan, it can go to him. And then I can also route it through the pipe to Maruga
0: For a faster payment, right? Because you and I can also have a channel, but if it's already established between you and Keegan and Keegan and I, then it's just faster to send it to me. And the way that it works is essentially, let's say that uh, you have $10, Keegan has $10 and I have $10 and you have to send to me $5 then you're essentially sending $5 to Keegan, then Keegan has $15, and then Keegan is sending $5 to me.
1: And I also don't have to do anything. Yeah. Like, uh, I nothing, I require no action. I, have, I don't have to hit any buttons and the payment automatically goes through my channel to you. Runa.
0: Yeah, and well, you said one thing is that essentially no cost. So what keeps the network alive?
2: So, like as long as, so it's beneficial, mutually beneficial for me and Keegan to have a payment channel with each other. Um, it's also beneficial for you two to have it, right? So that's just, each person's just acting in their own interest, right? I want to be able to make cheaper payments, so I'm going to keep my node online with my payment channels open. And there's, you know, hundreds or thousands of people right now, and presumably there will be many more in the future, who all are doing the same thing, acting in their own interests to to facilitate these cheaper payments for themselves. And the way that the Lightning software is set up is that it, it benefits you so that you can make these cheap payments, but it also benefits other people uh, in the fact that they can route a payment through your node as well. Um, so, yeah, it's just everyone acting in their own best interest. And um, and there's, it's not like Bitcoin where you need that mining power to secure it or anything like that, because that's where like the the layer one to layer two mm-hmm. anchoring kind of comes in. Like we use Bitcoin's security so that we don't need to uh add additional security on lightning network that's taken care of by bitcoin and then it's more of like the uh the convenience i guess of being able to send those cheaper payments to each other and and to anyone right because i could route a payment through keegan through you and then through five other hops along the network to eventually get it to you know tim hortons to to pay for my coffee and it all happens essentially instantaneously um and, and like Keegan said automatically like the Node operators don't have to actually do anything for this to happen.
0: So uh, how do you actually um, open up a payment channel between two people?
2: So like I said, payment channels are just a Bitcoin transaction that's shared between two people. And so essentially I tell my computer, I want a channel with Keegan. And then my computer and Keegan's computer start talking to each other. And they say, okay, so what's going to happen is Billy is going to, or Billy's computer... Is going to create a Bitcoin transaction that sends, say, one Bitcoin into this new wallet, basically. And then that wallet, is, it's one that Keegan and I share. Uh, it requires both of our signatures to do anything with it, right? So it's this shared transaction or a shared wallet uh, between the two people in the channel. And then, so, so sending the, the funds to that shared wallet is kind of what opens the channel. And at that point, we can do whatever we want with it, you know, updating the... Balance on it, Um, and then when you want to close a channel, that just means you're basically taking that transaction and broadcasting it onto the Bitcoin network. And once that happens, you can no longer adjust it because it's already been spent. Um, And that's that's how it comes to its end. And like, there's no time limit on these channels. You can have them open for years, make thousands, millions, whatever payments through them. Um, So like, there's a lot of of you know benefit to to using these things for sure.
1: I want to take this conversation to the uh the el salvador and the bitcoin beach conversation mm-hmm. uh to answer the second question that rigakshi asked billy and that was oh, how is this actually going to be useful in everyday payments uh because you know the regular bitcoin network it has some um, some drawbacks to using it for everyday payments like buying a five dollar coffee high fees uh 10 minute on average transaction times Volatility
0: that's as well.
1: Volatility as well. It's not oh, ideal yeah. for uh, for everyday payments. The Lightning Network is more ideal and so therefore maybe we should encourage the use of that. And that's exactly what Bitcoin Beach decided to start promoting and using and installing as infrastructure, uh, payment infrastructure in their community. And this, I think this conversation will go really well because they essentially have a micro Lightning Network amongst their community. And I want to hear your take on that, Billy. And like, what benefits do you see that they gained from moving their experiment, the Bitcoin Beach experiment, onto
2: the Lightning Network? I mean, I think you you nailed it when you mentioned like the the low fees and the the faster transactions. Um, the volatility side of things is is for the time being going to be an issue, whether it's Bitcoin or Lightning, um, because Lightning is it uses Bitcoin currency. Um, but yeah, it, it's a. You know, to have a little micro economy where you need to wait 10 minutes for every transaction and you need to and you don't know how much you're going to have to pay, whether it's 10 cents to make a payment for a coffee or $10, um, you know, sometimes the Bitcoin network fees go up and you need to pay more um, with the lightning network, because each payment channel is just between two different individuals. Um, there, you don't have to worry about paying those fees, right? Um, you're not you're not paying the Bitcoin network to do all this work for you. You're just the two of us are talking together. So that's why we can have these instant and nearly free uh payments. Can so you say nearly free.
1: Can you quantify in cents or dollars how much a sure. typical lightning transaction might be?
2: Sure. So the if if it's just within our channel, it's free because it's just us saying like, let's okay. update this. The the fees in lightning come from the routing part of things. Gotcha. So this is partially to incentivize you to actually route payments for me. So it's not just that you're doing it out of the goodness of your heart. Like you can, you set a a fee basically you announce to the other nodes or the other computers, what your fee is. And uh, you might say, I will route your payments, but you need to pay me 100 Satoshis. Do you guys, have you talked about Satoshis? We have talked about Satoshis. It is
0: the smallest unit of a Bitcoin.
2: Yeah. One Satoshi is 100 millionth of a Bitcoin. Yeah. So, dripping some education into this episode. So, you might say, I will charge you 100 Satoshis throughout any transaction, plus, um, you know, for every million Satoshis of value, I'm going to charge you an extra thousand Satoshi fee or something. So
1: a million I, satoshis in, is worth like what right now? Like approximately a dollar twenty,
2: if my math uh, is correct. No, a million satoshis. Yeah, that would be like a hundred dollars. Okay. Um. So. So in terms of what the actual fees are, typically it works out to be somewhere around like point, one point two percent of the total value of your transaction. Um but many times, especially because you're using it for things like coffee, many times you're paying like a cent or a tenth of a cent for a transaction um
1: that's really all i wanted wanted you to say like is it a penny is it ten cents is it fifty cents like
2: those those ten cents fifty cents are are much more rare yeah um there might come a time where cause it is a free market, so you know the routing nodes might start charging more fees right they're welcome to set that fee to whatever they want, but for the now it's it's really really cheap um and It'll probably stay that way for a long time because it costs essentially nothing to run on a routing node, and you know, you're, if everyone's just running these nodes for relatively cheap, that means you know I'll process a transaction for a low cost, but I also get to send transactions for a low cost. So it kind of benefits everyone to keep that low. Um, but yeah, so like the cool thing is that I've also sent like big payments for no fees, right, or like less than a penny of fees. Um, and you know, I've probably sent like a dollar payment and got charged like 50 cents in fees. And I've also probably spent like a $50 transaction and paid less than a penny in fees. So that's one thing that's kind of a a user experience drawback or like thing that needs addressed right now is that because the fees are so variable, you kind of do need to pay attention to it every time. But, you know, I think wallets are starting to do the whole, like, um, here's the best cheapest route we found for you. A um, oh,
1: route optimization.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it says like, it's going to cost you 10 cents to send this $10 transaction. Do you want to continue? Um,
1: that's actually so interesting. Like I'm totally nerding out here, but that's a really t- tough <laughs> computer science problem to, to solve. It's like, what's the cheapest way to get to my destination? <laughs> and for all the computer science uh, nerd listeners out <laughs> there that don't, don't know that as the traveling salesman problem, perhaps. Yeah.
2: yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, so, uh, and then there's other things like um, your node kind of, your node doesn't know like, how reliable other nodes are on the network. So there's some work being done to like, try to assign metrics to like, mm. how, how often does this node like, successfully route a payment or how often does it fail, things like that. How much uptime does this node have? Is there consequences if that node fails like, during the routing of a transaction? Um there is, and I'm most familiar with Sea Lightning, and the way they handle it is it's only like a I wanna say like a 20-second penalty. So if I try 20
0: second penalty.
2: So if I try to route through you, um, it basically if that doesn't work, it'll say, Okay, I'm excluding him from my list, and then it tries a different route. Um, but it all you know, this is all happening at computer speed, so it's like the whole thing takes like a second.
1: Right.
2: So it kind of puts you on my ban list for whatever short time period um and then once that payment goes through it basically puts you back you know takes you off the ban list okay.
0: what kind of wallets support uh, the lightning network
2: so it's still kind of early like i mean it's quite early um but
0: how old is the lightning network
2: um it was first kind of like uh proposed as in the white paper, I think, like, end of 2015 or, like, early 2016. Okay. Um, so four to five years uh, for the concept. And then for the actual Lightning Network, um, early 2018 is kind of when it started going live. Um, so two and a half, all going on three years now, I guess, since, like, the network that has actually been operating. Um, and it's kind of cool that, like, the network... It was very experimental at the time. It came online this three years ago, and it's just been live ever since with no downtime. And, you know, no, uh, yeah, there's been individuals might have some issues with their payments and stuff. But overall, like the network has been live and functioning uh, quite well for the whole time. So.
0: Right. When you said that individuals might have had issues with their payments and stuff, is that something that is reversible? Like have payments ever gotten lost on the Lightning Network?
2: Um.
1: I I can actually answer that. I know that in the earlier days when they were experimenting with it, like at at some point in time, there had to be, you know, a time where they said, okay, let's try this. Let's try this out with real Bitcoin. And uh, like the last time I looked at the metric, it was actually early 2018. When I was looking at this, they were trying it out with like very, very small Bitcoins, uh, like one or two or three Bitcoin. And some of them are locked in a payment channel and they can like those are unrecoverable at this point. But uh, as far as I know, like that's not been a huge issue later on. You yeah. Can correct me if I'm wrong there.
2: No, that's right. And the other thing is like so much of what Bitcoin comes down to is private key management, right? So pay- payments can get locked in a payment channel if, you know, you mishandle the private keys and say you lose it and then can't sign the transaction. Um, the way it's handled is that uh, when you go to open that channel, we both kind of pre-sign the transaction. That way, if you lose your key, it's already signed and we can at least get it back out. But, um, but yeah, there's, especially with new experimental software, there's always that risk of like doing something wrong with the private keys um, and then getting your, your funds locked. It's just like if you have some Bitcoin stored in a, a wallet somewhere and you lose the private key and you can't access your wallet, then, you know, it's, it's in there forever.
0: It's still a human error. Um, that could cause.
2: Well, so yeah, there's there's human error, but then there's like, also like potential computer error in the sense that, you know, the the humans making the code for Lightning Network because it's still young, right. there could be error like bugs in there that could cause funds to get lost. Um, the biggest source of funds loss that I know of is, um, basically, there's a mechanism in Lightning where um in order to keep both people in the channel honest if you so like say i have ten dollars you have zero in our channel um, and then i pay you the 10. uh technically i still have a signed transaction from you that says i own the ten dollars right the older state of the channel so to prevent me from broadcasting that old you know balance where i would get to keep the money and make the payment to you um there's these things called penalty transactions, and it's essentially a way to stop me from broadcasting old transactions. So if I were to broadcast that transaction, then you can use a penalty transaction and prove that I was publishing an old transaction, and then you would get to take all of the funds from the channel by publishing that penalty transaction. Um, And there has been some fund loss from that by people accidentally publishing old transaction states. Um, and then, you know, and it's basically, remember, it's not you doing the stuff, it's your node automatically, right? right. So when it, when your computer detects that I published an old state, it's going to automatically put that penalty transaction out there and claim all the money. So, um, if I had some buggy software that accidentally published an old state, or if I took my node offline for a week, um, or I guess not anyway, if I, um, like say I made a channel backup, right? I, I want it to be safe. So I backed up the channels and then tried to restore the channel, like the our connection with an old backup accidentally. Um, same thing. Yeah. You could penalize me for that. And your node is going to do it automatically, not knowing if I messed up or if I'm trying to steal your money. So yeah, those penalty transactions are, I would say are the biggest source of funds loss, um, but it's becoming less and less of an issue. Like it's actually quite rare for that to happen. Um,
0: Is it possible to manipulate that possible error and have people on purpose lose their funds to a malicious user?
2: um, So there are like quite a few different um, like attack vectors in Lightning that kind of weren't a thing in Bitcoin because like with Bitcoin, you basically have your private key, you keep it secure, don't let anyone else see it and your funds are basically safe. With Lightning, because you're always online um, and because there are these different kind of incentive mechanisms like the penalty transactions and and things like that, um, it does kind of open you up to attacks where maybe they'll try to, um, you know, like here's one example. I could publish an old state of the transaction where I get to keep the $10 and then start doing like a DDoS attack on your node, right? I could... Just basically try to knock your node offline. And if your node gets knocked offline, you know, for three days or whatever, it can't publish that penalty transaction, which means I'd get to keep my the full balance.
1: Right. And you could transfer it to a different wallet and essentially make a runaway with the, yeah. With the cash. Yeah. Yeah. Um the Bitcoin, not the cash.
2: <laughs> yeah. So like there's different attacks like that. Um so excuse me, it's kind of like even more important to, you know, keep your, uh, your privacy in check with, with Lightning. Because, um, like, with Bitcoin, if, if you're not keeping your transactions private, like, people will know what you're doing, but they're still going to have to come here and, you know, take your your keys to, to get your money. Or, I guess, try to get, like, a virus installed on your computer or whatever. Um, whereas with Lightning, it's, like, if you knowingly, like, share your IP address through the Lightning network... Then that can potentially open it up as like a, ooh, here's like a target we can try to take down and right. um, yeah. So it's not it's not perfect and it's not flawless, but the other side of it is that we're generally using lightning for coffee or for well, a lot of it's like buying stickers online or whatever at this point, but it's like low value transactions.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So there's not a lot of incentive for attackers to come in and and expend all those resources trying to uh, you know steal ten dollars of Bitcoin or whatever.
0: Right. Okay. So, um, when we talk about setting up a payment channel and, and the nodes that you're talking about, um, if you have a a wallet that is essentially your access to uh, the Lightning network, is that the same as also having a node?
2: So, uh, the node would have the wallet. Um,
0: so you're not the node isn't necessarily the, the application itself.
1: Uh, it It is. Okay. Yeah. yeah, the node is, but the wallet isn't. So the, uh, a wallet's not necessarily a node, but a node must have a wallet. Yeah. Okay. And
2: I think there's work being done so that, like, your node can access whatever wallet you tell it to, including, right. like, a hardware wallet, right. which is really good. And I think you can do that now, but it's just not easy. Um, but, yeah, so the node is essentially you have your computer set up with the Lightning software installed on it, and then your computer is now a part of the lightning network, you know, an agent acting on your behalf um, doing the the routing and payments and stuff for you. So that's what the node actually is, is just your computer running the lightning software for you. Same with Bitcoin, right? A Bitcoin node is just your computer running the Bitcoin software to take part in the Bitcoin network.
0: But then you can have a Bitcoin wallet that gives you access to the Bitcoin that um is on the bitcoin network so how does it work with the lightning network
2: um it's basically i mean again i'm only really familiar with c lightning but the, right. the the wallet is like essentially built in with the node software so like
0: right so you can't have it on your phone then
2: um well so so the way it works is because your node is you know uh, making payments on your behalf and like the way payment routing works is that um like, technically, if I'm routing through Keegan to you, Keegan pays you first, and then I reimburse Keegan. Um, so, like, even if he's not actively making payments, he needs to have those private keys available to make these signatures and, and payments. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of essential that the, the node has access to the wallet at all times, right. which is why they kind of ship it together, I guess.
0: Right. So is it really user-friendly right now?
2: There are different ways of using Lightning that are, um, like, <clears throat> you can use some wallets that require you to do everything, like, manually and get everything set up just right, uh, and then there's the other end of the spectrum where, like, uh, Phoenix Wallet, basically, you click a button that, I want to receive money, and then um, the there's this company that runs the Phoenix wallet and they basically do all the channel management for you. It's still not custodial, but they do the heavy lifting of like setting up the channels for you and all the channels route through their node. Um, So essentially they act as like a bridge to the lightning network for you, but like your funds, your private keys and stuff, they all live on your node. Um, But yeah, that wallet is like super user friendly, super easy to use. It's almost the same experience as using just a regular Bitcoin wallet. Like I want to send money, I want to receive money, um, and it just—it's almost like magic. Like everything just happens behind the scenes because of the way it was designed, right? It, It's—you're definitely having some some trade-offs because, um, you know, the the, the company node that it all goes through—they know all of your transaction history because everything's going through them. Um, so there's the privacy trade-offs. Um, they could probably like—they couldn't steal your funds, but they could probably lock them up for a period of time just make them inaccessible to you for, I don't know, two weeks or something like that. So there's trade-offs there, but it does make for like a really good user experience from the payment side of things. Um, yeah. So like that wallet, you know, sure, there's probably still work that needs to be done, but it's like, I would say that's ready for like regular people to start using um, in the same way that like a simple Bitcoin wallet could be ready for regular people to use nowadays.
0: All right. Okay. Okay. Well, I know that you're really passionate about educating people on Bitcoin and also the Lightning Network. You went to the MIT Bitcoin conference <laughs> earlier this year as well. What would be a message that you would give to no-coiners? <laughs> <laughs> right, what was the second pre, time pre, you guys? Pre-coiners. Pre-coin- Can you define that really quick for our audience?
2: Sure. So uh, a no-coiner is kind of like someone who doesn't own any Bitcoin and doesn't really... <laughs> It's kind of actively against it, like is is explicitly does not own any Bitcoin or is a pre-coiner is someone who kind of just isn't there yet. You know, they they might not know about it or they at least haven't gone through the process of buying it yet, but they probably will eventually, either out of necessity or out of interest. So that would be a pre-coiner.
0: Cool. So what is your message to pre-coiners, no-coiners or part of our audience (laughs) that identifies with neither one of those two (laughs) definitions? What so is your message to my message
2: to them yeah. about lightning? Or?
0: Um, well, it can be about lightning, but let's just um kind of distill down to the base layer protocol, which is Bitcoin. Okay. Like this is a cryptocurrency podcast, and um the reason why we named it GoFull Crypto is because we uh, had made a decision to um leave the traditional financial system behind, and we chose the alternative which works for us. And that doesn't mean that we don't use Canadian dollars anymore but we have identified that there is a more efficient system and we're choosing to bring that up to the forefront. Um, And you as well, like I said earlier, you are very passionate about teaching people about Bitcoin. You kept up with what's happening uh, in the Bitcoin world, the Lightning Network world. So from your experience, and you uh, were introduced to Bitcoin in 2009, 2010, but ended up after various encounters, ended up actually um, purchasing some Bitcoin in 2017. So what would be your message from your experience to our listeners on um, buying Bitcoin or just, you know, on cryptocurrency? Well, no, I shouldn't say cryptocurrency since we decided that big <laughs> um, there's Bitcoin and then there's cryptocurrency. So what is your message to these people?
2: Buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, so one thing that's common in this space is that people kind of like they prematurely get into stuff. Um they get the fear of missing out and you know just kind of misallocate their money and stuff like that. Um there's really no hurry. Like Bitcoin's not going anywhere. Like I said earlier, you know, Bitcoin's not in a hurry. Um, It's there. It'll be there when you're ready for it. Um, It's the type of thing that you should probably like really educate yourself in before trying to put any serious money in it because There is, like whether you're looking at altcoins where you might lose some money or uh, mismanagement of your private keys and you might lose money, like this is a a money system where you are the only one responsible for your money. And if you mess up, it's gone forever. This isn't like the banking system where you can pick up the phone and say, help, I lost my money. So you really should educate yourself before putting any significant money in it. Um, And... I guess just to remember that it's, you know, the whole point of Bitcoin is this censorship resistant payment system. Um, It happens to be like potentially a really good place to store value because it doesn't, no one has the ability to like inflate the money supply or anything like that. Um, And when you think about every other asset in the world, like they don't have either of those properties really. Um, So if you think about Bitcoin through that lens of censorship resistance and inflation resistance, um, and and kind of focus your your approach to Bitcoin, like on those two things, like they're kind of the governing principles in my my mind. Yeah, there's things like fast payments, cheap payments, privacy, all these different things. Um, and this is where a lot of altcoins come in and say we're better than Bitcoin, um, but they really do come at the the cost of trading off the the censorship resistance and the inflation resistance. So um, yeah, I would say, like just really keep in mind that those two properties are like a huge part of why bitcoin is special and why it is um where its value comes from and um you know yes it it especially the the inflation resistance like that should help pretty much anyone anywhere but then when you think about places in the world that aren't so fortunate as us who like their governments are kind of uh censoring payments and and you know authoritarian countries where like the money is like very strictly monitored and stuff like Bitcoin is being used today for censorship resistance. So this isn't like a pipe dream, this is what it's actually designed for and it's actually working that way today. So just keeping those things in mind, because it is easy to get caught up in the hype or the there's a lot of noise in the bitcoin space but on the price as well yeah that's yeah there's
1: a huge focus on the price that's what the majority
2: of the news is about i suppose yeah And it's almost the less exciting aspect about it yeah i don't think like we've been talking for hours at this point i think and like we haven't mentioned it really once so um there's a reason for that right it's the, the price is it's distracting it's noise um it's not really a true measure of like where Bitcoin is at or what uh, what it has to offer. Um, and the other thing is like if you're tying your relationship to Bitcoin to the price. Then you your know your
0: relationship is going to be quite volatile.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, you know, a lot of people got into Bitcoin in 2017 when it was twenty thousand dollars a coin, and then it dropped down to three thousand dollars a coin. If you really like tie yep. your relationship to Bitcoin to that, you're going to have a hard time. But if yeah. you kind of ignore the price, like I'm glad that I ignored the price because, like my three and a half years in Bitcoin now, it's been like I'm just seeing the gradual improvements in Bitcoin, and it's you know it's been getting better and better and better throughout the years. Uh, even though the price goes like this, um, Billy did a up and down uh,
1: thing with this <laughs> uh, for our listeners. With, with his finger,
2: yeah, up and down thing, yeah. So like the price is all over the place, um, and that causes a lot of people stress and and euphoria when it goes up. But oh no, stress, stress, is uh, stress when it goes <laughs> up. Yeah,
1: but yeah, I get really stressed when Bitcoin goes up. I was like, okay, well, you know, how big is the correction yeah. that's coming? Right that? But
2: <laughs> Yeah, no. It's a, again, that's a different conversation. And so, one last thing, I'll I'll add that I think is is kind of unintuitive with this stuff is like really go with the like the long time horizon. You know, it's easy to be like, oh yeah, Bitcoin went up twenty percent this month or down fifty percent this week or whatever. Um, but you know, I I've shifted my focus to like what's Bitcoin going to look like over the next ten years or even twenty thirty years. Yeah. Um, and when you do that, it really kind of smooths out that volatility because, you know, if you look at, well, what was Bitcoin 10 years ago? Right. It's was, it was nothing. It's nothing. It basically non What's it, it going to be in 10 years? Right. It's, it's we know we're heading the right direction. And like all the little ups and downs in between are, are kind of, uh, you know, irrelevant in a sense, um, unless you choose to like make them relevant by focusing on that price in the short term. Prospects. Yeah. One of the common
1: sentiments I hear from people is, oh, I, I missed it. I missed the boat. It's like, mm, I don't know about that. Like, Bitcoin's 10 years old. You probably didn't miss the boat on that. The internet's 30 years old. The mainstream internet, that is. You probably didn't even miss the boat on that. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, the internet is a baby and it's new. And, you know, Bitcoin's kind of in the birthing canal, if you want to think of it that wow, way. Wow. What,
0: yeah. uh, what a reference. We're sorry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I was just trying to expand the analogy, but.
0: Right. Uh, Well, you said something there, Billy, that is, uh, I think, a really important lesson to um, just keep in mind in in general. You said that you should look at the long term aspect of Bitcoin. Don't look at what it's going to be in the next day or two or how much you're going to gain in terms of price. But think about it 10 years from now. And I I can imagine how difficult that is for a lot of people these days, because we live in a world with instant gratification at our fingertips for most of the things that we do. And it's difficult changing the mindset of someone who is so used to an adept uh, and and has grown up in this world of instant gratification to think that, oh, wow, okay, you're telling me not to expect gains in the next five minutes, but instead (laughs) I should wait Five years to see where this is <laughs> gonna get me that, I, I don't I don't know if I can do that. Um, and this is just me thinking out loud about the, the mindsets of some people, um not all, obviously. and again, I feel like that's a mind shift change. Uh, sorry, mind, shift in mindset shift in mindset. thank <laughs> you. I was wondering what that meant when I said it. Um, because we're not used to waiting for long term gains. We're used to getting gains. Quickly.
2: This is true. And maybe Bitcoin can be like a good introduction to people for, um, you know, going for delayed gratification because I, I agree. Um, and I think that's actually one of the big problems with kind of our society today is that instant gratification. I think that messes up a lot of things. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's look at our food, for example, right? It's like you go for that easy thing and then <sighs> look at like chronic obesity and diabetes and heart and you know, all these different issues going on in the world, um, stemming directly from the, the instant gratification of food or, um, you know, there's so many issues around, um, mental health to do with social media and stuff. And it's all stemming from this instant gratification. Um, I think that like, and I don't know exactly how to get the, everyone to shift their mindset to being longer time, you know, horizon and, uh, and more delayed gratification, but other than like just practicing it, you know, just doing it, um, for example, putting your phone down for a day every week, just, you know, doing stuff outside of that instant nature going, well, going out into nature, um, can definitely do it. Uh, gardening is a great example of, <laughs> of delayed gratification because.
0: Oh gosh, you, that teaches you patience too. Yeah, and oh. you put
2: hours and hours and hours into it like every week and then nothing, nothing, nothing. And then you mess up and you try again and it takes a lot of work, but then you, all of a sudden you get this beautiful, you know, harvest of vegetables straight out of your own garden. and All
0: of a sudden, (laughs) five weeks later.
2: Yeah, exactly. But, uh, I don't know, just practicing things that, you know, are, um, do not give you that instant gratification. Like, um, even if starting small or it's just a matter of deliberately delaying it. Um, sometimes just doing hard things, like going to the gym, is a good example because that's pretty like pretty popular these days. People, it's in, I guess. So like that's a good example of it. You know, you right. you don't want to be at the gym working out, but you know, look, gives you big muscles, makes you feel good, so you're gonna keep doing it. And it's like most things in life, the you know, longer within reason, the longer you delay your rewards, the better those rewards will be. So
0: good things take time yeah and as we discovered in the, one of the episodes that we did interviewing you Keegan, is you you came for the gains but you stayed for the philosophy so like there is an example i think w- with all of us where we have had to have that experience with expecting a fast gain or a fast return but once once you join the bitcoin network or once you go down that rabbit hole you really realize that I mean sure gains are going to be a consequence of me investing my money in this but man this technology this philosophy that it stands for this is so much more than just having um you know a little bit of extra money at the end of my investment period so
1: okay. I like the way that you put that yeah you yeah.
0: come for the gains you stay for the <laughs> philosophy and you join the revolution
1: yeah amen
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay well billy if people have questions for you where can they find you i know we covered this in part one but for those who missed part one of this episode
2: um so i guess like most of my bitcoin involvement takes place over twitter which is where a surprising amount of bitcoin uh, activity takes place um my account there is billy underscore btc um and if you know, anyone wants to get in touch with me directly, I think my messages are open there. You can send them to me or they could contact you guys and put them in touch. Um,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. And yeah, if we've discussed a lot of things in the past two episodes, well, this one and the one episode ago with, with Billy and a lot of, I would say, radical ideas and opinions. And well, in this particular episode, part two, we went... De- uh, really deep into the Lightning Network, and for those of you who have heard of this for the first time, please don't hesitate to open a dialogue with Billy at Billy underscore BTC on Twitter, or you know, email us, and we can put you in touch with them via email. Because we are here as educators to help you understand the world of Bitcoin, um more specifically, and then cryptocurrency to make it a, a wider range of so thank you everyone for listening and watching again don't hesitate to uh, reach out with any questions and also if you've enjoyed the content so far don't forget to give us that um, five-star rating as well as leave us a review so that more people can find this knowledge information and learn from it thank you for listening and stay tuned